You know, Chad this morning talked about bad fuel for the fire. Today, this, this evening, I want to talk about good fuel for the fire, but when he was talking, I was reminded of a bonfire I was at in high school, and uh, Chad said maybe a tire was the worst fuel for a fire, probably due to the smell, but I would argue the, uh, the friend of mine that threw three cans of cream corn into the bonfire, that might have been the worst bonfire, because I tell you, cream corn gets real hot when it explodes, and the cream really has quite the, the splatter. And it was just a bunch of 16-year-old idiots running for our lives as burning hot corn was flying uh, at us. The tire might smell worth, worse, but a, a cream corn hurts more, uh, I'd suggest. But baked beans, that's a, that's a better thing to throw into a fire. Is a f- <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but tonight we, we want to continue our journey and look at Jesus. Last night, uh, I'll do a, a little bit of a recap. Uh, we looked at the question of who are we? What, is it, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And, and the truth is we were made to be, to be filled with life. We were filled with the breath of the living God to share in his life, to share in his dominion on earth. Each one of us are are called to be icons of God, and we're called to demonstrate and to reveal to the world the love and the character of God. I I love uh, what what Genesis shows and what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that the life of God is in us. We are his temple, and we reflect him. But tonight, I want to look at the question of who is he? What is it of God that we're meant to reflect? And I really feel like tonight is, and, and every sermon for that matter, is just a continuation of the, the sung worship we did. Now we're going to worship God in his revelation through Scripture. But Jesus is the true human being. We see him as the perfect human. He is the epitome of what humanity was meant to be in a, a perfect state. Jesus shows us the heart of God. Again, he is the exact imprint of his nature. And because of that, he shows us how we're meant to live as human beings in this world. Again, as we we looked last night, the incarnation gives such profound dignity to our humanity. It, It reveals to us, it shows us exactly what humanity is meant to be and how it's meant to look. And because our lives in the waters of baptism have been made one with Christ, we are united with Jesus our lives are meant to be modeled after his life. I love the, the passage that Father Chad and the, the leadership team here chose to base the conference on, Philippians 1.27. And as Chad said this morning, Paul is in troubled times. He is in prison, and he's writing to the church to thank them for their faithfulness, and he's urging them and, and, and compelling them to continue centering their life on Christ. And so Father Chad shared on that this morning, and I believe if you are part of this church, you would have heard Bishop Dan a couple weeks ago preach on this passage. Am I right about that? I really feel like I don't need to do any of the heavy lifting. I'm not going to explain much because better minds than mine have done that. Um, But Paul writes it in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I I did my my master's studies uh, in biblical studies. Uh, and so I love getting into the, the nitty-gritty of the text. Uh, I'm an, a nerd, and whenever I get nerdy, people in Lethbridge tune out, and they go, we don't know why you're getting nerdy. So I'm going to limit it today, but I, I do want to be a little bit nerdy. 
Uh, and so one fascinating aspect of this verse is the phrase, let your manner of life. Uh, and, and when I look at the Greek text, I actually don't really like the way that the ESV translates it. Uh, this portion of the passage, I think they're missing something important because another way to read the passage could be live out your citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live out your citizenship. Of course, these people were, were Roman citizens. Philippi had be, become a colony of the Roman Empire, but I actually don't think that's necessarily what Paul is saying. Later in Philippians chapter 3, we see in verse 20 that he clarifies where our citizenship is. You are citizens of heaven. But as I said last night, I think Paul's point is less about rules and behavior and more about harmony, more about correspondence. Again, we think of faith as being about rules. But, but you know, if you, if you think in terms of rules, this, this sentence could be like the apostolic father, the, the, the apostle writing a letter going, hey guys, you better be careful, you better watch out, behave yourself. I'm giving you a warning. But Paul's saying, friends, remember who you are. Know what your identity is. Do you know who you are and where your identity is found? You know who you represent and whose image you reflect. Your home your identity is of another kingdom. It's, it's of another way. You are born again of heaven, renewed and restored. Again, we are Christ's icons on earth. And for us to be fully and truly alive and to be fully ourselves, we have to live into that reality of who we are, where we're from, and then from that reality, the, the, the question of calling just flows out of us. Who we are ends up guiding how we live. We, we have to get that base point. So we're called to a life that corresponds with and reflects the good news of Christ Jesus. That corresponds with and reflects the life of Christ Jesus. And Paul is, is such a good pastor, he naturally goes on to explain what that looks like. So this evening I want to spend our time in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If you have your Bible, let's turn there together and, and read that passage. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Such a rich passage. As image bearers and, and icons of God, as citizens of heaven who have been raised with Christ and, and reborn and renewed in his image, we, we understand life differently. We, we, have, a, we have to have a, a different paradigm for life. Uh, I, I loved when I came in, the Via Langley logo is, is the crucifix on the screens. I don't know if that's your logo ever. You don't need to put it up. But just that idea, we have a different paradigm for life. So when we look at Christ on the cross, that's not a symbol of death. That is a symbol of life for us. We have to understand everything about life differently in light of who Christ is and who we are. And if our lives are meant to reflect his life, if our calling is meant to reflect his calling, then we have to view our lives and our callings and our purpose different than the world does. And so that's what Paul is explaining as he challenges the church. In verse 5, have this mind among yourself. What mind? What, what way of thinking? Is he saying, think this way? Again, Christ, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ, who is the form in the form of God. Form isn't speaking to external features, but it's, again, the characteristics and the qualities that are essential to being and existence. When he's, when he's saying he's in the form of God, it's the things that truly characterize a, a given reality. So Christ didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped because he's fully God. He demonstrates ultimately what it means to be God, the, the nature and the character and the qualities of the transcendent God. I love the, the, the tension between transcendence and imminence. The, the beauty of God, that he is the creator of heaven and earth. He is outside of time and space. He is totally outside of our ability to understand and grasp. And yet, he come, becomes incarnate, and he becomes touchable and knowable and close. And he images the invisible God as we looked at last night in Colossians. And remarkably, in, in just a single sentence... Paul goes from describing Christ in his eternal glory, the creator of heaven and earth, transcendent, almighty, and glorious, to that of a servant. What tension? What, what opposite extremes of the spectrum? And he says, Christ emptied himself. Not in, in a sense of losing his own divinity, but he fully poured himself out. He entirely gave of himself without any reservation, but wholeheartedly and joyfully saw the need of humanity, saw the, the brokenness and, and, and the destruction of sin in our lives, and eternally united himself to humanity by becoming human to bring redemption and restoration and life. We see in Jesus humanity and divinity commingled into one person. And again, in Christ, we see divinity and humanity epitomized. 
the, the qualities and the, the characteristics of God, not something to be grasped at. He, he had all of them. And his self-emptying, his, it's, it's his kenosis, is the Greek. It didn't extinguish the d- divine nature. He didn't lose his divine nature. He didn't become less God. But instead, the, the reality of his divinity became expressed most evidently and most supremely embodied in his flesh. In other words, we, we know the heart and the nature and the character of God most clearly in the person of Jesus. In Christ, we truly see God. And I know we talked about this last night, but I don't, I don't think I can ever get bored of contemplating the, the mystery of the incarnation. It's such a, a beautiful reality. But again, as I've said over and over, and I'll keep saying, it's, it's foundational to understanding our calling. So if we are going to think about calling, we have to think about this. He demonstrated and epitomized what it truly means to be a human being. Perfectly, he took the form, the the qualities, and the attributes of the essence of human. So what did that look like? What does perfect humanity look like? When we think of what is the epitome of human existence, where does our mind go? Go to Michael Phelps, the all-time world-leading gold medal winner. Where, where do you go when you think, what's perfect humanity? Paul's answer is servant. Paul writes, and being found in human form, what happened? He humbled himself. Christ Jesus, the creator and the sustainer of the world from Colossians 1 was willing to become human and further the least of humanity. Despised, rejected, here to serve the lost and to redeem the lost. He is humbled in every way. Being in the the very nature of God, he empties himself. He pours himself out fully. Again, he is conceived by the Spirit. God born of a virgin in a manger. God becomes a child in Jesus Christ. Jesus became subject to human growth and development. He submitted himself to earthly parents. God. Though he was the giver of the law, he subjected himself to the law in circumcision. He was instructed in the law. He became a carpenter. He became a laborer. He's despised by his creation. He's criticized. He's accused. He's mistreated. He is a man of sorrows. He's familiar with grief. He endured political subjection to an unjust political authority. He knew what true tyranny looked like. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He's abandoned at that moment, the the moment of greatest agony, abandoned by his closest friends. He knew rejection. He became a curse for us. He didn't amass wealth. He was buried in a borrowed grave. God. He descended to the dead. Every single step of the life of Christ was a descension further down than the last. He humbled himself. He emptied himself in every conceivable way. In in classic Christianity, Thomas Oden says this, it was an ever-narrowing descent from heaven to hell. 
What kind of love is this? Nowhere else, friends, is the heart of God more fully revealed than in the incarnation and the passion of Jesus. One of my favorite scholars is, is John Baer, and uh, Jeff and I were, were privileged to take a, a course with him, and he, he beautifully writes this, and I alluded to it last night. Christ shows us what it is to be God in the way he dies as a human being, simultaneously revealing what it is to be human. Christ shows us what it is to be God in the way he dies as a human being, simultaneously revealing what it is to be human. The, the one who didn't count equality with God a, a thing to be grasped, most clearly revealed the truth about God in his total and complete humility and self-sacrifice. We see undeniably on the cross that God is love and that true love is demonstrated most clearly in self-giving. No greater love than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And because Christ is fully God and fully man, perfect God and perfect humanity, we simultaneously see what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. And to truly live as a human is to live a life of humility, a life of love, a life of obedience, and a life of self-giving. It's Christ-like. And anything else is a movement away from life. We're never static. We're always in motion. Are we moving towards God or away from God? So Paul is laying out a, a new way of thinking for the church. Again, we view life through a vastly different paradigm. Just think of, of the cross. We look to a God-man, bloody, broken, mangled, naked, beaten, rejected, hanging on a tree next to common criminals as the enthronement of a king and the, the place of true life. Have this mind have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ, it flies in the face of human wisdom and power, doesn't it? It flies in the face of calling that seeks self-advancement, calling that seeks prestige, calling that is motivated by strategy and networking. The, the way of the gospel, the way of Christ is a contradiction. It is a polar opposite to the way of the world, which is about notoriety and recognition and being served and receiving gifts and receiving love and receiving human affirmation. But the way of God, beloved, is so clearly demonstrated in the way of the cross, and it is true life. One of my, my favorite passages I, I studied was Ezekiel 47 and its connections to Golgotha. The, the temple in, in Ezekiel 47, out of the side of the temple flows living waters and it restores the earth. And we remember the cross when there's a spear driven into the side of Christ. The water flows out and Golgotha becomes the new Eden. It becomes the new place of life for humanity because waters are flowing from the side of the true temple. The cross is the place of life. And it is something that, that we are longing for. And you, you guys are longing for life. 
That's why we, we love the idea of last night, being image bearers made for life. We are dying to be alive. We're longing to give ourselves to something that matters, and this is it. My, my son came home a couple weeks ago. He's in grade seven, uh, and unrelated, the point of what his teacher was saying isn't my point tonight, but she was talking about toxic masculinity. And she was telling this class that boys don't need to be strong, they don't need to be athletic, they don't need to be manly, they need to be different. And he, he came home and I said, well, what do you think about that? And he's like, honestly, we were a little bit annoyed. And I said, you know, fair enough, I guess. Like, if you are strong, like, that's a good thing. But, you know, you don't have to be super athletic either. either. You can still be a man. And he said, yeah, what my friend said, though, was uh, men become men in war. And I thought, oh, that's actually really frightening for a couple reasons. Uh, but also, I thought, well, this, this young 13-year-old man is actually longing to give himself to something that matters. He said that the nature of manliness is to lay my life down in a fight. But in, in sinfulness, our humanity is broken and deranged. But this is the invitation. This is what we're meant to lay our life down for, for true life, true peace, true freedom. And Paul, Paul continues in verses 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and here we see the, the paradigm of the kingdom. It, it is not one for self-exaltation. Christ empties himself. He voluntarily subjects himself to death on the cross for the sins of the world, and in return, God exalts him. He is bestowed with the name above all names, worthy of all worship and adoration. Christ's suffering and death leads to his resurrection and glorification, and in him the glorification of all humanity. That, uh, it opens the door for humanity to, be, to become as Christ, to walk out our lives in Christ-likeness, to live as Christ, to receive the, per the perfect life of Christ, to receive his strength in our weakness. And insofar as we are willing to die as Christ with our own sense of kenosis, with our own self-emptying, pouring ourselves out, letting go of our agendas and giving ourselves to him, like Mary saying, let it be according to your word, to follow him, to take up our cross. This is the, the command of Jesus. We've been hearing this afternoon, if you're in Adam's session, take up your cross and follow me. Beloved, this is the way of life. This is truly what it means to be a human. This is what we are called to. Following the, the pattern of Christ's true humanities and, and giving ourselves in love and humility, in obedience and self-sacrifice. Again, in the kingdom, the paradigm flips completely upside down. And so long as our lives are longing for power and success and wealth, and approval, and our own way, and our own dreams, and our own desires, and our own ambitions, 
we don't have the mind of Christ. Again, all these things aren't inherently bad, but if they aren't submitted to Christ, if they aren't given to us by Christ, then they're death. But in the way of the kingdom is the way of the cross. The way up is the way down. To become fully alive, we have to fully die to our in-Adam nature and follow the path of Christ's life. The, the kenosis of the Son, the, the self-emptying of the Son demands the kenosis and self-emptying of adopted sons and daughters. And I think as long as we resist this way, we always will feel some level of disconnection. We'll feel tremendous dissatisfaction. We'll, we'll feel our lack of harmony and our lack of correspondence with God. Because this way, this path, is the way that, that God and his love are most clearly revealed and most freely given to those who embrace his way, embrace our weakness and embrace self-emptying. And the cross invites each one of us to join him, to share in a, a death like his so that we can truly become alive in him and share in a resurrection like his. So when we look at Christ on the cross, the true human being hanging on the cross, though we see agony and death, we also see so much hope and so much possibility. Father John Bear again, he talks about us mortal human beings, and he says the, the cross opens up the possibility to share in his life, to live the life of God himself. And listen to this. If he had shown us what it is to be truly human in any other way, some would always be privileged and others excluded. Just consider that statement again. He opens up the possibility to share in his life, to live the life of God himself. If he had shown what it is to be truly human in any other way, some would always be privileged and others excluded. As mortal and weak and broken humans, and, and all of us are, Christ opens up the possibility to share in his divine life, to live the divine life of God himself through his death. And the reality is the only constant, the only universally true thing about each one of us in here today is the reality of death. It is the only constant, the only thing common to each one of us. And, and because of the cross, it is the only way that we can know true humanity and true life. It is through suffering and weakness and death. It is through the willful laying down of our lives that we can receive that. And if it was through any other way, some would be advantaged. Calling and, and purpose and destiny, those things would be limited to the impressive, to the skillful, to the smart, the attractive, the talented, the go-getters, because they'd be more Christ-like than the rest of us. But this, giving up ourselves, we can do that. All of us can do that. 
Here, going to the place of the cross, to death, we can follow there. How else can we attain Christ-likeness? I've tried. I can't walk on water. Tried it a lot as a kid. I can't turn water into wine. How else can we attain union with God? How else can we enter into true life, an eternal life, truly being born again and truly living, but by the cross? And everyone can do it. It's, an, it's accessible and freely given to all, to the broken and to the weary and to the sinful, to the stupid and to the ugly and to those with no talent at all. They can go to the cross. On the cross, Christ Jesus opens his arms wide and says, come to me, all of you. Be with me. If Christ showed us what it meant to be human in any other way, what part of him could we share? But by his death, he shows us a better way, the the true way, what it really means to be alive. So when we look at the cross of Jesus, what what do we see? See a life lived for others. See a, a path of sacrifice and service. We actually see a hopeful way beyond our our self-aggrandizing aspirations. We see a way of love. We see a way that is true life. I didn't really talk about the first five verses. Paul practically tells us what it can look like. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." You know, what, what would it look like as a church for Via Langley to see the path of Jesus, to see the cross truly as the way of life, as the, the pinnacle of calling, as the, the place of existence, that each of you every day would, would give a not my will, but yours be done, wholeheartedly to God in serving him and serving others, to to let go of our our natural desires and our own selfish ambitions and our conceit, to just freely say, I'm not going to demand my own way and I'm not going to withhold myself from others, but I'm going to pour myself out. Instead, receive the encouragement of Christ and participate in the Spirit by allowing Christ to reorient our lives toward his way, to intimately journey closely with him in a path of self-sacrifice and humility and obedience, giving yourself to God and giving yourselves to one another because you don't have to take care of yourself because you have Christ and you have each other and you're all loving, and you're all serving, and you're all pouring yourself out for one another. What would it look like to actually consider others as more significant than ourselves? 
to willingly pour ourselves out for God and for others, and in doing so, in our own self-emptying, in our own kenosis, share in the fullness of life in Christ. Friends, the cross has become the path to life. Golgotha has become the new Eden where the rivers of living water flow. The cross doesn't draw us away from life. I think so often we think repentance and the cross is something we don't really want to think about because it makes us feel bad. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a grace. It's a place of life and restoration. It draws us into Christ, and it draws us into a union in the most accessible way that doesn't prioritize any gift set or any ability, just weakness and need. It's a place that we fully come into the way of Christ and fully come into the love of God. Again, the cross clearly shows us what it is to be God in the way that Christ dies as a human and simultaneously shows us the true purpose of humanity to follow wholly the way of Christ. Will you, will you follow him there? Will you lay down your life for Jesus? Will you take up no other call than follow me and pick up your cross? Beloved, live out your citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is an invitation and a call that is accessible to all. It is a call that leads us to intimacy and to union. It's a call that leads us to life, not just on the other side of eternity, but here and now as we die to ourselves day by day. Each one of us this evening, Christ is calling us to lay things down. What is, he, what is he leading you to give to him? Our, our brokenness and our need don't disqualify us insofar as they lead us to the cross. Our suffering and our struggles and our failure doesn't change our purpose and destiny, but they actually become then the vehicle that leads us to life. I've rested for a couple years now on a Spurgeon quote that says, I've learned to kiss the wave that casts me against the rock. Perhaps the, the sin that you've been struggling with this week that you just go, I don't know if I'm called. Look what I keep doing. Maybe that's the vehicle, that's the wave that is today thrusting you onto Christ where you just go, oh, I need a savior. Perhaps your tiredness and your weakness, your brokenheartedness is a vehicle of grace that thrusts you onto the cross that forces you to go, I need you, Jesus. I need your life. I can't hold this anymore. The Lord has to change our paradigm. He has to give us the mind of Christ that we would see the way of the cross and the way of the kingdom truly as the way to life. And in doing so, we would come into union and love with him. This evening, we decided to do Holy Communion. I think that's the best natural segue when we're considering the cross. Uh, and I just want to share uh, maybe for a moment something that the Lord revealed to me a, a number of years ago. Uh, I, I was plagued with shame. I was a, a man plagued with sin and anger, and uh, we were very early on in the sacramental understanding of communion, and uh, we were going up for communion, and I had this 
picture in my mind's eye of Jesus on the cross, and I had my sin, and I could just see them as like blocks of weight, uh, and I, I put the, the weight on the, the back of Christ as he hung on the cross, and I, I couldn't really see him, but he, he sagged down under the weight of the sin, and something in me recoiled, and I actually went, oh, I don't want to do that. I actually don't want to give you that, uh, and I, I just sat in, in my mind's eye. I was sitting at the, the foot of the cross and really struggling because I knew I had so much to give him, but I just actually couldn't go there. It didn't feel right to do, um, and I just sat at the foot of the cross, and I, I saw the blood of Christ drip down and, and land on my head, and I just broke. And something of the, the grace of God made me long to just give myself fully to him, to give everything I had and put it on him. And it was like this mad panic in my heart of confession, where I just went, oh, I got to give you that. I need to give you this. I need to give you this. I need to be free of this. And it felt like for the very first time in all my life, I had truly repented. And I truly felt free from the, the sin and the shame and the bondage that I was held in. And I felt light and life and freedom at the foot of the cross. And tonight, Jesus is with you. And in the Eucharist, we participate in the body and blood of Christ. We bring every benefit of his death and resurrection. We participate in that cross moment afresh. And he says, come to me and give me everything that isn't of me so you can have life. And will we follow him there? Will we give ourselves to him tonight? Will we follow his path? Will we lay ourselves down and offer ourselves to him and offer ourselves to the world around us, trusting him that life will be found there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Chad.